So one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is this next year. And what's it going to look like? 2022. Man, can you believe it's 2022? This is just, wow. Uh, the fact that, that there are literal adults that were born after the year 2000 is just mind-boggling to me. Like, how is that even possible? I mean, I, maybe, maybe the category of adult is questionable for some. I don't know. But it's crazy that we are in 2022. And who could have seen this pandemic coming? I mean, what a, what a crazy thing this has been. And I am just hopeful, and, and I'm praying that this is the year we finally move over this thing. I'm so over it. I'm so done with it. All pandemic stuff, I'm just done with it. And I'm sure a lot of you are too. And I'm very hopeful that what we're going to see happen out of this is very similar to what happened in 1918. Now, not that I was there, but I've read the stories. And in 1918, there was a worldwide pandemic that was awful. And everybody was isolated and separated and, and, and lonely and alone. They didn't even have the technology that we have to tr kind of stay in touch the same way that we do. And after that pandemic started to wind down, you know what happened? It's called the Roaring Twenties. Everybody just bounced back with a vengeance. They came out and they wanted to get together and they wanted to party and they wanted to dance and they wanted to hang out and they wanted to travel. They wanted to do all these things. Then business started booming and you just had this incredible boom that happened after that pandemic as a result of people being so just pent up and ready to get out and do something. I sincerely hope that that's what's in store for us or at least the beginning of that in 2022, that there will be a big bounce back. I especially hope that that's true for the church, because the church across the world has taken a hit from the pandemic. I mean, the enemy, the enemy did a number on the church. There's the isolation and the separation. With that comes all sorts of extra problems that were just exacerbated by the pandemic, made so much worse. There's a few of these in particular that the elders have been talking about lately and the pastors have been talking about. And I just wanted to share these with you because it's my prayer request for 2022. And I want to let you know this, and, and, and I want you to make this your prayer request as well, if you're willing to do that. A few challenges. One is that churches across the country have experienced a lot of churn. The flocks don't look the same as they did two years ago. They just don't. The people are different in every church. It's just shuffled all over the place. So it just looks different. So we're just kind of getting to know the, the new church. I've talked with several families today who've been coming here in the last few months and it's like, I don't, I don't know who you are. Before the pandemic, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on who is who. And now there's all these new people to get to know and meet, which is exciting and fun. But it's just different. The church looks a little bit different. The other thing that's different is that pre-pandemic, when we looked at the adults that were coming through our services here, uh, we were seeing an average attendance of probably, this is really estimated, but maybe two to three Sundays a month is what a lot of people were coming to church. Some a little less, some a little bit more. Now, that number seems to be probably less than, well, probably about once, once a month, one to twice a month, basically, as far as attendance in the church. Now, I am not saying this to judge anybody or shame anybody, and I know that this morning of all mornings, attendance in this room right now is lighter than it usually is, and there's a whole lot more people watching online right now. So please understand, I'm not trying to judge or shame anybody. There's reasons. There's reasons, okay? And I know that there's people that are concerned about the latest variant. I know that there's people that are immunocompromised. There's people that have all sorts of reasons that are just sick with something else, and they can't show up anymore because now if you're sick with anything, you might as well have COVID, right? And so you've got to stay away from everybody. And I totally, I totally get that. But this is something that we as church leadership are concerned about. I'm not just talking in this church. I'm talking churches across the country are having this conversation right now. 
What are we gonna do about the fact that the number of people that used to go to church that don't go to church now is far greater than before, and the fact that church frequency of attendance has gone down. And it's not just about attending in the church, it's about the fact that this is our, this is our body of Christ, this is our church family. There is such a difference when you're together, when you're with each other, when you see each other. It covers up all kinds of other issues and disagreements that we may have on top of the fact that it's just spiritually encouraging. And there's something about standing there with other believers around you, shouting out praise to God together. It is encouraging to your soul when that happens. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. I don't know what it says in the version I use now. All my verses are memorized in the KJV, so sorry. That's just, that's where they're all from. Don't forsake gathering together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I understand we've got reasons right now. There are lots of good reasons, but I I suspect that coming out of this pandemic, what's going to happen is our habit of making church a priority has been cut. There's been a break there. And as we get over this pandemic, are we going to see that come back? Are we going to say, this is a priority for me to gather with the brothers and sisters in Christ? It's a priority for me to be connected with them regularly? Or is it just so stinking easy to roll out of bed that morning and say, not today. I'm going to stay home today. Along with that, there's another trend that we see in churches, which is the commitment to serve has gone down dramatically. And I think those two are related because we had some serving habits and some serving rhythms and those got interrupted too. And so now we have this incredible amount of flexibility and freedom, but we also lack that commitment to make serving the body of Christ in some way a priority for us. And so churches are just wrestling with, we just don't have enough people willing to serve. In fact, I know some of you who have come into this church in the last year because your church isn't offering things because they can't get enough people to serve. Now, thank God, we have a lot of people that serve in this church. But I know for a lot of people, it's just, we come on Sunday and then we're not really involved in anything else. And look, I'm not, I'm not bringing this up because we desperately need more people. God is good and we've got a lot of great people serving here. I'm bringing this up because I'm concerned about our spiritual health. Because service is such a huge part of our spiritual growth. And that willingness to commit to serve has been broken by the pandemic. These are some of the things that we're talking about and praying about in our elder meetings and our pastoral meetings. And it's caused me to have a lot of prayer. And we've been praying about this a lot. I'm going to ask you to pray with us. And it made me think this week of our vision statement. This was a a vision statement that we kind of freshened up this last year. The elders spent a lot of time working on this. It says that First Free Church is a growing community, passionate about worshiping God, reaching the lost, growing spiritually, praying continually, deepening community, and developing leaders who continue those pursuits in every area of life. Passionate about worshiping God means it's a priority for us. It means that we value over other things that we could be doing getting together to worship God together as the Bible tells us to do? Are we reaching out to other people with a love of Jesus and letting them know about Jesus? Now of all times is a time when people need hope in the world. They're they're crying out to understand more, to to know if there's meaning in life and if there's value for them and discouragement and depression are at all-time highs. Suicide is at a high. People need answers and we have the answers. Are we reaching the lost with the hope that's in Jesus? Are we getting more serious about our spiritual growth? Are we making sure that we're spending time every day in God's word and in prayer and making that a priority in our life? 
Are we praying for each other all the time? Is the community of the believers important to us? Are we gathering with other believers on a regular basis? Not just here where there's too many of us to actually know and be known, but in our smaller groups, in our Sunday morning communities. Are we growing other leaders by discipling them and investing in them and serving them in different ministries? Are we working with the kids and with the students and, and groups and other people in the church and men's ministries and women's ministries? Not just for the purpose of something to do, but for the purpose of raising up spiritual leaders who are then gonna influence other people for Jesus. This is what we're praying about. And we're praying that 2022 would be a year of tremendous bounce back, not just for the world and not just for our country and not just for our community, but for God's church. That we would see a renewed commitment to these things. They're God's things. They're right out of his word. So to help us with that, I asked a couple of our elders to pray for us. I'm going to invite them to go ahead and come up now. And they're going to pray that we as a church would live out this vision statement in a fresh way this year. I'm going to ask you to pray with us. And we're going to pray for a while. So, you know, it might get uncomfortable. We're going to pray for a while. We don't always I have a long time of prayer in the service. But Doug Pogue is our elder chair. Mark Vigil was part of our previous elder board. And these two men are going to pray for us that we would live this out. Thank you, guys. If you bow your heads with me, please. Lord, we just want to invite you uh, into our presence uh, uh, today. Lord, we, um, uh, we welcome you here uh, in this body that seeks to serve you and, and love you and, and uh, love each other. Um, Lord, it's with, it's with humility that we, uh, we just ask for your guidance and direction this year. Um, uh, there's just there's so much stress. There's so much uh, kind of angst going on in the world right now, both in general and also personally um, in, our, in our families, amongst our loved ones and those we know. And, um, and so as we set, we set our vision statement and, um, and our activities uh, before you, Lord, we just really want to do so. Um, uh, in a way that senses uh, your leading, uh, your direction, uh, your wisdom. Uh, help us just to follow you, Lord, uh, in all of these things that, uh, that we're going to talk through. Lord, regard, regarding um, reaching the lost, we, we do want to reach those who don't know you. Uh, Lord, you've commanded us to do it. Moreover, the most, it's one of the most gracious and loving things we could do. In, in one sense, our faith is one beggar telling another beggar where we found food. And thankfully, Lord, we need no fancy degrees or advanced training to share our faith because your light is clean and bright. It's renewing and transformative. And for thousands of years, people have their lives turned around when they come to know you. No philosophy or anything man has created comes close to that. And I thank you that saving faith is both simple to understand initially, yet deep enough that we actually will spend a lifetime getting to know you and still have wonder and mystery as we pass into your presence. Help us this year to share our story with the people around us in a loving and authentic way. Help us to talk about what you've done for us, Lord, so that others will know and experience that same transformation. And in this, Lord, we want to know you better. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for pursuing the God that we want instead of the God who is. A God of our own design who validates our plans and our feelings. A God who ensures our, the outcomes we want in life. But rather, let us pursue you for the God that you are for who you are and who you have always been. Help us to dive into the scriptures, Lord, to seek out your character, your wisdom, your promises, and your faithfulness. Help us to become rooted and more dependent on you in our day-to-day -day living. We want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you, Lord. 
and help us in 2022 to live that out and not keep this knowledge to ourselves. Now, we won't be able to do that, Lord, without praying to you fervently and continually. So often we ask for your blessing after we have come up with a direction, a strategy, and a plan on our own. Please forgive us for such a shallow approach and a neglect for what your wisdom and direction can provide to us. Help us to seek your face first before we make our plans for the big decisions in life. And in our daily life, help us to spend the day with you by inviting you into all aspects of our day, each conversation, each decision, each moment. What could help us more in life than to be in constant conversation with the God of the universe? Lord, we love you and want to pursue that conversation with you this year. And Lord, I'm reminded that the elders didn't just cook these ideas up uh, out of the blue. They're your values. They're, they're found in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would enliven worship, uh, a passionate worship, because your heart is not, uh, you haven't designed us to be casual in our worship, but rather passionate, wholehearted. Um, we thank you for the people that you've brought to this church to lead us in worship. They're so talented and their hearts resound in love for you. And so use them, Lord, to that end as they lead us in worship. We want to wrestle, Lord, with your word each week. We want you to speak to us. We want you to move us and challenge us and stir our hearts. We want you to uh, so brand before us who you are that we will magnify your name. Lord, we've been reminded too by Adam that it's good for us to be together and so I pray, Lord, that you would do just that. Bring us together, Lord, to worship so that we can see each other, we can have our voices united, and that you would be pleased with that. Pray, too, Lord, for a deepening community. It's so tempting to be content with just showing up at worship each week and thinking that that's sufficient for growing our walk with you, but it isn't. We need community. It's essential for our growth. It's essential for our prayer lives where we see you answering prayer, where we are encouraged by praying for each other, where we see you doing great and mighty things as we pray. We pray for Pastor Nick. We thank you for bringing him to us as he leads our group ministry. Pray for our Sunday morning groups, our large groups. We pray for our small groups. They're all different sizes and shapes and purposes, but Lord, they bring us together and they model what Jesus did as he ate with his disciples, as he met with them often, as he lived life with them together. We want to do that, Lord. And lastly, we pray for developing leaders. We want to be a church where we're not caught short of those who are train and who are equipped to uh, lead ministries, to lead us into uh, growth, to lead us in understanding who you are. We want those kind of leaders to advance the gospel in our lives. And so we pray for our leaders, our current leaders as well. We pray for our pastors, for our staff, for volunteer leaders. We pray, Lord, for a sense of intentionality 
concerning developing leaders. It's one of those missing gems often in churches. We just think it automatically will happen, but it doesn't. So we pray, Lord, that you will uh, work in us to engage and to find and deploy those leaders that will um, produce in this church a vibrant place to worship you, a vibrant place to grow. We pray for the kind of leaders that you are seeking, guys and gals who really care for sheep, who are shepherds, those who uh, are servants, who love and who are humble. We pray even for the kinds of shepherds that you are pleased to use, men and women who are weak and broken, because through them your power is able to shine. So we pray for all these things, Lord, uh, that your church would have these values, not just on paper, but that we would be a church where these things shine and are very evident as you prosper us and, and cause us to flourish. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you both. Thank you. Well, we are going to have a message as well this morning, and it won't be as long. It'll be in 1 Timothy, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're almost done with 1 Timothy. We've made our way through bit by bit, and it has been good. It's, it's, at least it's been good for me. I always learn so much more than probably anybody else does just studying these texts. And today is no different. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 is where we're going to be, so I encourage you to go ahead and turn there. My message this morning is called A Life Worth Living. A life worth living. And I hope that it will give us some direction for 2022 along the lines of what we just prayed about. You know, last week we talked about contentment. And, and Paul said that godliness with contentment is great wealth. Godliness with contentment is wealth. He was contrasting that to greed and materialism and the desire to acquire more things and, and saying that, hey, if you want to be wealthy, be godly and content with what you have. And that is true wealth, not money or things. And in our passage today, Paul is going to take it to the next level, the next step. You can't just remove the discontent and the greed and, and the materialism. You have to replace it with something else. It's kind of like if you want to eat healthier. You can't just stop eating junk food. You have to replace that junk food with healthy food. That's the only way that works. In fact, you can find charts online that will show you if you're craving this kind of unhealthy food, here's the healthy food that's supposed to satiate that craving. It doesn't always work, by the way, but it's supposed to. I don't know how almonds makes up for chocolate, but anyway. Don't just remove, replace. And Paul is going to give us something new to focus on. If you're not supposed to focus on money or material things, if you're supposed to be content, what are you supposed to replace that focus on in your life? And he's going to give us six things in this passage that we are supposed to focus on, that we're supposed to pursue. Here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. He says, but you, Timothy are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. He's talking about the money and the materialism and the pursuit of, of physical wealth. Instead, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, I want to draw your attention to one word in particular here, and that is the word pursue. Pursue. It's a very important word, especially because it contrasts with another word in this text, which is run. These two words are in opposition to each other. Run actually means flee. Run means run away from. And pursue means run toward. Run away from something and run toward something. I've been coaching basketball lately for kids, and it's a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things that kind of messes us up sometimes is when halftime hits, 
and the sides switch. And now all of a sudden the basket you were supposed to score in is the basket you're supposed to be defending and you're supposed to score in the other team's basket from the first half. Now I haven't seen it happen so far this year. I've seen in the past though where someone will get confused enough that early on in the second half they get the ball and they think they just stole it and they run all the way down to the other end dribbling all the way and they score a bucket in the other, in the other team's basket. And what's happening that entire journey, that very long, slow dribble up the court as that person, that kid, is making their way toward the wrong basket. Every parent on their team in the stands is going, no, wrong way, turn around, run the other way. And the kid doesn't hear it at all, and they go down there and they make a layup and they score two points for the other team. This is Paul basically saying to us, don't run that way. Run away from that basket, run toward this basket. Stay away from that thing, you wanna go this way. Bad, good, run over here, flee that run this way. But here's the thing about this. When you pursue something, it doesn't just happen on accident. You have to be intentional. You have, to, you have to make action, it doesn't just happen. You need three things to pursue. You need planning, you need action, you need endurance. You have to plan, you have to take action, you need endurance. It's kind of like a lion going after prey. The lion's gonna, gonna pick out which one it wants to go after. And it's gonna crouch up and get ready, it's planning. And then it has to snap into action and go, and go after what it wants. And it has to have endurance because as soon as that animal turns a different direction, the lion can't say, oh, well, the goal changed. Well, never mind, I'm done. No, he has to endure. He has to keep going after that prey. And that's the way we need to be. If we're going to pursue something, we have to actually pursue it with, with intense energy. In fact, the actual definition of this, um, of this word that's used for pursuit is to do something with intense effort and with definite purpose or goal. See, we're not aimlessly running after something. We are pursuing with intention and with intensity. It cannot be passive. It does not happen by accident. I think so many people in their spiritual life, they kind of just hope that it happens to them. That's not the way this works. Pursuit has to be intentional. There is planning, there is action, and there is endurance. So I want to talk about these six things we're supposed to pursue. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And along the way, I want you to be thinking about two things. The what and the how. The what and the how. What are we supposed to pursue and how can we pursue it? And by the way, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive how. The how may be different for different people in this room or watching online right now. It's going to be a little bit different and that's okay. But I want you to be thinking and the Holy Spirit to be working in your mind, in your heart, to say, how am I going to intentionally pursue these six things? Let's start by talking about righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible means doing what God requires, because our idea of what is right and what is wrong comes from God. He's the one, if we follow Jesus, he's the one who determines what is right. So righteousness means doing what God requires. That's where our definition of it comes from. Knowing what is right these days can be very difficult, can't it? Because the world is constantly trying to put in front of us things that maybe are not right, but putting them forth as if they are right. Constant distractions and trying to get us off track and trying to make us think that maybe the wrong thing is really the right thing and maybe the right thing is really the wrong thing and it's often very subtle and it's very confusing. Isaiah chapter 5 says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. You see, Isaiah had the exact same problem we have. 
people in the world saying, no, 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 that's not good, this is good, and telling us to run towards the wrong basket, knowing the difference between what is good and what is bad, what is right, what God wants us to do is vitally important. So how do we pursue righteousness? How do we know what God says is right, what we're supposed to pursue? We have to be studying God's word. We have to be learning God's word, not just here on the weekend. We've got to be in the word during the week. We've got to be studying the Bible for ourselves. We have to know what God's word says because it's his way of telling us, here is what is right. Here's what I want you to do. If you're going to pursue righteousness, you have to intentionally be in God's word. That's the only way to do it. You have to be learning what does God say is right every day. The Bible says in James 1.22, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. We have to not only know God's word, we have to do it. We have to understand it and we have to do it. And that means more than just coming here and, and getting a message. That means every single day we are in God's word. And maybe that needs to, to look like, hey, before I get up and eat breakfast, I'm going to spend at least five minutes in God's word. And that's just a commitment that I'm going to make. I'm going to do that. I'm going to feed my soul before I feed my stomach. And if you do that every day for, for even five minutes before you have breakfast, see what that does in your spiritual life. Take a step to intentionally pursue righteousness. The next one is godliness. Paul says we're to pursue godliness. The word for godliness means being consecrated or dedicated to God. You are set apart for him. You are of a godly variety. You're different than everybody else. You know, if you bring out a, a tray of cookies and put it before some kids and you tell them that they can't eat them yet, sometimes one of those enterprising kids will decide that they see a cookie that they like more than the others because it has more chocolate chips than the others. And they will attempt to claim that cookie for their own, even though they can't eat it yet, by licking it. <laughs> Have you ever observed this? When a kid knows they can't eat it yet, but they want to reserve that one for them, they'll just kind of lean over and consecrate the cookie for themselves. <laughs> that's my cookie. It's set apart for me. In fact, no one else better touch that cookie because that's mine. And in kind of a weird analogy, that's what God says about us. We are to be consecrated to him. We are to be set apart from him. We are to be different than other people. That means your life may look different than your neighbor's lives. It may look different than your coworkers' lives. You may not be able to do all the things they do. You might do things differently than they do. You prioritize different things than they do. Why? Because you are pursuing godliness. Godliness means you are embracing that differentness. That God has said, you are my child. You're set apart for me. We're supposed to pursue faith, Paul says. When Paul talks about faith in his epistles, he is referring to faith in God, faith in Jesus, and sometimes the faith that unites us as members of the church, as God's family. And pursuing faith means doing so even when it's hard to. It means trusting in what Jesus did for you, even though the, the enemy lies to you all the time. There are a few different ways we could take this, but the way I want to talk about it this morning is there are lies that the enemy probably tells you on a regular basis through a variety of different means. Lies about your value, lies about your worth. The enemy wants you to think that you're worthless unless you, you engage in the things that the world finds valuable. Career, money, social status, social media, reputation, all these other things, the friends that you have, the perception of yourself that you put out there. 
And yet what God says is, you, you are my child. I have died to save you. You are valuable and loved by me. And so trust in that, not in everything the world has for you. There will be all sorts of obstacles that, that come your way in this life as a follower of Jesus. And you can trust in the God who loves you and cares for you enough to die for you, regardless of how you're feeling right now. I think in, in this day and age, that message is more important than ever. We are so isolated and so lonely today. And yet God says, you are valuable and you are loved by me. It's so tempting to find our value in, in the things around us. It's so tempting to find our value in the wrong places. And the reality is, we are not, made, we are not valuable enough for God to love us. We are valuable because God loves us. We don't have intrinsic value in it of ourselves that makes it worth it in some way because of what we have to offer for God to say, oh, you're going to be my child. No, God chose to love us, and that's what gives us value. Things are valuable because of the price someone's willing to pay for them. I watched a documentary this week. Um, it was called Why the Art World is a Scam. And I thought it was an interesting title, so I clicked on it and figured, okay, let's watch this. And it was all about the six big art galleries in the world and how they manipulate the art market to make some obscure piece of art seem like it's super valuable so it'll auction off for hundreds of millions of dollars. And it can be something that intrinsically has basically no real value at all, but because they do a good job of hyping it up, someone will pay a lot of money for it. Why did they do that? Is, it, is, it, is the product actually worth that amount of money? Technically, no. It's worth what someone is willing to pay. We are worth what God was willing to pay. God was willing to pay the death of his son for us. That's value. Not value because we had it intrinsically, but value because of what God was willing to pay for us. The next time you face an obstacle that threatens your faith and causes you to doubt and question, remember what Jesus did for you and the value that he puts on you and trust in that not the world's definition of what makes you valuable. That's just one aspect of pursuing faith. What about pursuing love? Paul teaches all about love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. How do we pursue love? I want to give you one phrase that is super easy to learn and really, really hard to master. Are you ready for it? How do we pursue love? By treating other people better than we feel like treating them. That's how we pursue love by treating other people better than we feel like treating them. I feel like being mean, but I choose to be kind. I feel like being jealous, but I choose to be happy for that other person. I feel like being bitter, but I choose instead to let that go and put it into God's hands. We pursue love by treating other people better than we feel like treating them. Then Paul says, pursue perseverance perseverance. Paul often talks about this idea because he knows that the Christian life is not an easy one. There are all sorts of obstacles that we face in life. The enemy is trying to tempt you and trap you and distract you. 
You could have friends and family that are trying to distract you and get you off course in different ways. And then there's your own sinful desires of your heart that can drag you away and try to make you focus on the things of the world instead of righteousness and godliness and faith and love. So know that the obstacles that you face are an opportunity to pursue perseverance, to not give up, to build up your endurance. They're not an excuse for an off-ramp to give up. It's an opportunity to, to experience what Jesus said was coming. When he said, know that in this world, you will face all kinds of trials of many times. We need to pursue. We need to, we need to follow perseverance and endurance in our life, even when difficult times come. And then he talks about gentleness. He says, pursue gentleness. Now, gentleness does not mean weakness. And gentleness does not always mean agreement. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Notice that gentleness here does not mean we ignore the sin. Gentleness does not mean we say, well, that's okay, that's okay, you can do that, that's all right. We'll just kind of love you anyways through that and we'll ignore that problem. No, gentleness means we confront the sin. But we do it with gentleness and with humility. I had someone this week uh, say something to me that was exceptionally mean and rude and untrue. Um, and it was, it, was, it was very, very uh, rotten what they said. And this person happens to be a pastor at a different church, so that doesn't make it better. And I responded and we dialogued a little bit. And part of the dialogue was me saying, hey, look, even if what you're saying is true, which it's not, but even if what you're saying, they just misunderstood something. Even if what you're saying is true, the Bible says that when we're confronting someone like this, we're supposed to do it with gentleness. And he responded, the idea that Christians are supposed to be gentle is a myth. And I said, uh, have you read Galatians? And all these other passages of scripture? Gentleness does not mean that we don't confront problems. Gentleness just means we do it with a certain posture and a certain attitude. Second Timothy talks about this. Paul says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. This means that the reason for the opposition and the confrontation of whatever is wrong, whether it's belief or, or action or whatever it is, sin behavior, whatever it is, the reason for it is not because we want to put the other person down or criticize them. It's because we want to see them grow. There's a different purpose to it. And so there is a gentleness in that effort, even though it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily agree. It doesn't mean we're going to walk out of here and say, well, that's fine. You keep doing what you're doing. No, it's still wrong. But we're going to approach it with gentleness in the hopes, not the guarantee, but the hope that God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. We've talked about six things now, the what and the how of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We've talked about how to pursue them, and that is so important that we do that with planning, with action, and with endurance. And, and I want to make sure that I mention here that the results of this are not the product of your work, but they are in some way the result of your effort. The Bible says that God is the one who does the work in us. The Bible says that he is the one that, that produces the results. He has begun the good work in you, and he will be faithful to complete it. If we confess our sins, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does the cleansing. And yet the Bible also says that we are God's co-workers. There is an effort that we are to put forth in this, and there is a result that God provides. 
You can't take credit for becoming more spiritually mature. That is God's work. But you can keep it from happening by not pursuing these things. God wants you to be working at this with him, to intentionally pursue these things, and then he will bring about the results in your life. That's so important for us to understand. He gets the glory for all of it, but he still wants us to be involved in the pursuit and in the process. That's the what and that's the how, but maybe the most important thing we can talk about today is the why. I want you to look at this verse again in 1 Timothy 6, 11, and see if you can spot the why. What's the why in this verse? What is it? Some of you have figured it out. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. You are a man of God. All the things Paul said before about money and materialism and greed and and discontent. No, run away from those things because you, Timothy, are a man of God. That's the why. There's something different about you. The word here for man is the word anthropos, which which is really a generic term. It can mean person. He could say woman of God if he was talking with a woman. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. And this is the why behind all of these pursuits. Our identity is different than everybody else in the world that doesn't know Jesus. Your identity is different. Your identity, how you see yourself how you interact with other people, the the things that you buy, the people you spend time with, your hobbies, your career, other choices that you make, those are all impacted by your identity. And we find our identity in all sorts of worldly things. It could be our job. And so the thing I most identify with is my career. Or it could be who I'm married to. And that kind of becomes my identity in life. Some people find their identity in their kids, in in what their kids do, or their identity in what they're good at, what their talents are, or their identity in money and how much they have, or making it look like they have more than than they really do. But God says, you are a man of God. You, your identity is different than everybody else. That's the why. And because your identity is different, you need to pursue different things. See, when we get a sense of our identity from our career, what happens when, for some reason, we can't work in that industry anymore? Our, Our world is shattered. Not just because we lost our job, but because so much of our identity was wrapped up in that job. And and it's, it's who I am. I am this thing that I did for a living before. And so it hurts more when we get our sense of identity from our talents. And then someone else says something that that shows they don't value our talent as much as we do. It hurts maybe more than it should because we were holding on to that ability as, as a part of our identity. It's, it's who I am. This is what I do. And, and now that you've criticized that, you're attacking my identity. And so it cuts deep. When we get our sense of identity from this carefully crafted image that we, that we put out there online and put out there to other people in our social circles, and we always try to look a certain way. And, and as soon as some of that breaks down for some reason and somebody gets to peek behind the curtain, we're crushed. Not just because we saw something that we didn't want them to see, but because that was part of our identity. We have this carefully crafted image that we present for other people. And our identity can get wrapped up into all these other things. And yet God says your identity is as a man of God or a woman of God. You are of God, consecrated by God. And that's the why behind our pursuits. 
perhaps the most important thing I can share with you today and the thing that I hope you'll take away with you today is this. The more you embrace your identity as a man or woman of God, the less your world will be shattered when something challenges your worldly identity. The more you embrace your identity with God, a man or woman of God, the less your world is going to be rocked when whatever else you're holding on to as your identity gets taken away. Listen, Paul is not telling us to ignore money or ignore talents or ignore career or ignore relationships or any of that stuff. He's telling us to, telling us to hold those things loosely, to not let them be our focus in life because we are identified as children of God. And as children of God, we should actively and intensely pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness because it's who we are. It's our identity as his followers. There's an author named Terry Waddle, Terry Wardle rather, Terry Wardle. He tells a story about getting a hand-me-down bike one year when he was a kid. And this was a girl's bike. It was a, it was a big girl's blue bike with saddlebags on it. But it was the best bike he ever had. And so he loved riding this thing around, but there were limits to how far he could go. He wasn't allowed to cross the railroad tracks and go over the single lane bridge into the neighboring community. But he wanted to so badly. And one day his mom said, okay, you're old enough. You can go explore. And so he, he went off on his big blue girl's bike with saddlebags and rode across the railroad tracks. And he got to that single lane wooden bridge and he started to cross it. And as he was getting almost to the other side, he noticed that these four teenage boys stepped out in front of him at the end. And he could tell by the way they were standing, they were probably up to no good. He thought, well, I'm on a bike. I can just go around them and, and be about my day. So he tried to ride past them. And one of the boys reached out, and grabbed his handlebars and just spun him to a stop. Then they gathered around him and started saying things like, what you doing here, boy? Yeah, what you doing, kid? What are you doing over here? By the way, they were circling around him. He could tell that, that they were bullies and they were about to beat him up. He couldn't say anything. He was so scared. He just was frozen in place until one of the boys said, hey, what's your name, kid? And, and with, a, with a very squeaky pre-adolescent voice, he said, Terry Waddle? And they got quiet real quick. And then they looked at each other. And they gave him his bike back. And they straightened up his shirt a little bit. And they said, hey, you, you wouldn't happen to be related to Tom Wardle, would you? He said, yeah, he's my brother. He said, oh, okay, kid, we're, we're so sorry. Uh, you know what? If anyone ever gives you any trouble, we're here for you. We'll help you out. You just, you just go about your way. See, Tom was the defensive end for the high school football team. And Terry's relationship with Tom made all the difference to his identity that day. Terry's identity wasn't worth very much. Terry would have been beat up that day. But because of Terry's relationship with Tom and Tom's identity and Tom's value, suddenly that changed everything. And I think this is how we need to view our identity. The enemy wants us to think that we're worthless, wants us to think that, that life isn't worth living. But God says, your identity isn't wrapped up into all those worldly things. Your identity is as a man or woman of God. And so your value isn't based on what you bring to the table. Your value is based on the value God places in you, what he was willing to pay for you. 
And so because of that, we pursue these six things. Not because it's a religious thing to do, not because it's a good moral thing to do, but because our identity is different. And so we should be different. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, it is so hard to live out this truth in real life. There are just so many things that pull us away, friends and family and internet and coworkers and news. Everything makes us want to think about other things that distract us from our true identity in you and we get discouraged and depressed. I know this is such a problem today for so many people. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to find our true identity in you, not in anything else. And Lord, as we recognize that and the value that you've placed in us, that we would then in turn, as a result of that, pursue these things, not because it's some spiritual checklist, but because we are a a child of God, a man of God, a woman of God, and because of that, we should be different, pursuing righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness, Lord. Help us to do that this week. Help us to take that why and the what, and this week find the how that matters to each of us, whatever that may be, to take steps in that direction and actively pursuing that this week, Lord. Help us to live that out and share that with others. And in Jesus' name we pray.